right, and we're back with uh, Poems and Whiskey. I'm still Michael, and tonight uh, I have Leslie J. Anderson. Leslie, tell us who the hell you are. Uh, I am Leslie J. Anderson. Uh, I... I'm a poet. I'm a fiction writer. I am occasionally a comic book artist. Um, I live next to a cemetery with three dogs and a Roomba. My day job is in marketing. Oh, yeah, that's a bit of a pays a bill. Bit of, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it turns out, honestly, marketing is a great place for poets to be. Is um, it? It, it's yeah because you as a poet you are learning to use words to convince people of things um and that's the the wider version right like you are using words as a tool to communicate something about you know an organization right. or um your job or a product or whatever but also people hate writing emails like they will pay you money to not write emails or to not write copy for their website and then you can use that money to buy food and it's a pretty good deal that sounds all like things considered system. yeah 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 and then i can go home and i can write i wouldn't mind that and it's not bad <laughs> All right, so you um, you you do work uh, did work for a long time, still do work with a crypto naturalist, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So yeah, I've actually so bear with me. I'm actually a little bit nervous uh, <laughs> because I've been reading reading it for years, um, and when I saw that you'd put the book out, it was like, well, that's that's happening right now. Um, <laughs> And I've literally gone through and um, every other page is like marked and underlined. And yeah, You're, the, style, <laughs> the style is, is really something that's like right up my alley dealing with uh, fairy tales. And uh, everybody's heard me talk about how I think um, poet poetry mostly communicates with like a sort of a dream language. And um, yeah, this really with, with fairy tales and dreams really just is right up my alley and I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Oh. Uh, it's funny because um, this has been like the weirdest six months of my life in part because I have been very sick. Um, but also I um, got an agent at the end of last year for my novels. Um, and so I've only been this up because the agent said something like that. My prose is also that way that it's sort of like wandering around a dream. Uh, and I do think that is a little bit of how I write. And I sometimes get in trouble for it because people will be like, okay, this is interesting, but where are we going? And I'm like, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. We're here. <laughs> we're, we're wandering around here. <laughs> it's pretty and interesting. Yeah. Just wander with me. Yeah, I can see that. Like, I, uh, like the people don't quite know what to do with it. And I think, um, I think those same people also struggle with fairy tales and dreams <laughs> by themselves um like the, the the type who have no idea what that dream could have possibly been uh trying to tell them or symbolize and aren't really interested in exploring it right yeah like, yeah it's yeah, a yeah. thing that happened to them they're moving on with their day um i am one of those annoying people who i'm like tell, just tell me your dreams i want to hear about your dreams let's talk about them <laughs> i am too um, penguin talk to you that's amazing that's incredible your brain did that yes fantastic <laughs> i went out of town recently and uh a friend of mine um and we were we woke up and the first thing the first thing we start doing is start 
talking about our dreams and uh she, she's telling me what it is and i'm like so this is what you're dreaming about and she's like what really I'm like yeah everything just right like i knew immediately like yeah the house is you the ghost is you like all of this is you talking to yourself and here it is i lay it out and she's like god damn it yeah like yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I went on a I went on a trip with a group of friends once, and one of them, um, you know, we were as we were setting out, it was going to be a big, big group of us together for a long time, and so we kind of set up like ground rules, like here's what's off the table, here's what we're not talking about, and one of one of my friends was like, I don't want to talk about dreams at all. We're not doing any sort of dream, and I'm like, I'm gonna die. I'm going to. I'm. I will die. <laughs> it's literally like half your conversation. <laughs> I want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. But I know it bores some people. Like some people just are not interested in it, uh, which I understand. Yeah, it's. um... I also want to hear about people's Dungeons and Dragons characters, which is another thing. Like people, nobody wants to hear about that usually. And I'm like, no, tell me, tell me the drama. I want to know. Yeah, absolutely. Same. I want to hear the stories. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me the weird things about you. Tell me about the things that you don't, that you don't quite get. Absolutely. I love being that like receiver of weird shit. Yes. (laughs) People message me like, hey, this is weird. It sounds like something that you would. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You've got me pegged. Mm -hmm. And you see that moment, or at least for me, of like semi panic (laughs) in the other person where they're like, you're too interested in me. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I just want to know. You're you're cool. (laughs) They start start calculating how many steps to the exit. Right. Yeah. And And uh, I'm like, they're going to need to keep you in their line of sight. We've done it again, Leslie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I promise. I promise I'm not actually that weird. You don't have to. You don't have to have the emergency functions on speed dial. I promise. Mm hmm. I'm harmless. (laughs) Mostly. 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 I'm mostly harmless. So, like you, you've done, you've gone back and forth uh, with with different styles. Um, I'll start first because this is mostly about poetry. But like, why, why poetry? Like you, you, you've done some other stuff. Why specifically poetry? What makes it different for you? Yeah. Well, I think, I, th- I think I know poetry was my first love. Yeah. Seriously, when I was ten years old, I we read the love song of JL for Proofrock in class and I was done for I was like oh you can do this that's all I want to do now this is it I'm done like sign me up for this forever Um, it just is the way that my brain thinks in that language in that tiny space like condensed but also broken up um and you know maybe it's because I have ADHD or whatever but like (laughs) it is the way like it speaks to my brain yeah um, and it 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 is the way that my brain wants to speak to the world Um, so from that moment in that class when my teacher was like you know you guys can write poetry I was like oh okay I'm that's I that's all I want to do yeah done and done fantastic like you started there did you uh like you kept going continuously or was it something that you went back and forth on? Cause I, I had, a, I have had a few periods of time where I have done no writing uh, mm-hmm. poetry or anything else, but for like specifically, I have to find um, like a kind of not quite an inspiration, but like a, a, a feel to get to start into doing the poetry. Um, yeah. 
I'm not one of those right everyday people. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm not. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think you have to be. I don't think it's required. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, if you know yourself and you know that you have to write every day, that's you. Yeah. But I tried to do that and burned myself out and everything I was producing was bad. Um, I just rang myself dry. I write, I try to write as much as possible. I write when I get inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, that tends to be almost every day, but it's almost every day. Like I don't push myself to do it every day. Right. Uh, but it has been pretty continuous since I was about 10. Like I've pretty much always been writing. The first, my first big dry spell, honestly, was, well, I had two. I had two. I had right after grad school uh, because I had to learn how to love writing again. Mm. And um, after the pandemic, um, which really was hard. <laughs> and um, I had I had a six-month-old um, mm. right before lockdown or lockdown, quote-unquote. Um, so this was my first kid and I had to learn to be a first time mom completely alone and also try to work full time. Um, and it just wrecked me. I mean, like we did it. We did it. We were fine. We did it. Kid is healthy and happy. Um, but it just like, I didn't do anything else. I worked and I did childcare. Um, and all of the other things that I love to do fell away. And I, I even had this point where I'm like, well, I'm just, I don't know how to get back into it anymore. That's it. Um, that's all she wrote. And, um, it was, um, my, my husband is the crypto naturalist. Um, he was talking about like, you know, belief follows action so if you want to believe you are a writer again you need to just start writing like just write bad stuff just write garbage just just start writing so i did um i just correct oh he's annoyingly correct all this it's the worst it is it is terrible i live in hell um it is not being right it is uh the only my only (laughs) The only thing I can sorry. sorry. The only thing I can hold on to is sometimes I'm right too. But <laughs> But yeah, so then I started I started um writing poetry and just immediately putting it online. Yeah. Um like and people liked it. Like I and and it was such a breath of fresh air to just be like, I'm not editing this, I'm not submitting it, I'm not keeping it for a book here's here's what i wrote and people being like yeah i like this a lot this is speaking to me and it was such it was so nice it was so <laughs> nice but it would also you know the internet is not always a nice place but it was a no. nice place for me when i needed it which i'm very grateful for yeah i'm uh, i'm actually i'm lucky in in that regard too because i started posting um my stuff and there's no I'm not like gearing for publication. I'm just making stuff for the love of doing something because I have to. (laughs) I have to do something. So, um, but yeah, having that no pressure on whether or not I grow a thing or I'm pushing to publish for somebody or looking for anything. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good where I am right now. This is a good place. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I I really have been trying to learn to just re-love creation for creation's sake. 
Um, because again, during the pandemic, I got into this mindset of like, I have no time. So my time is precious. So I right, must produce right. something with my time. And that, that product has to be measurable. And, and that'll, that'll poison you. That's not good. That is not a good mindset to be in. So when, during the pandemic, well, the, the height of it anyway, um, had that changed, like you weren't creating much, but did it change um, did, later on, like your styles or the way that you related to what you were writing? Um, I've noticed a lot of a lot of uh, poets. I've noticed like a shift in in, in in what they've done. Either they started writing again, or yeah. it tanked them, or um... well, it's funny because at right as it was really kismet because right as I was starting to love writing again, and I, I was writing, I was writing, I, I guess there was a change in that I went back to what I love to write, which is mm. speculative poetry, right? It's right. science fiction, fantasy, horror, poetry. Um, and right at that moment, right when I was like, okay, I'm a writer again, I'm doing this, that's when I got contacted by the agent who I had sent to a year and a half before. I was totally forgotten about it. Like, it was kind of my last, like, all right, I'm kind of done being a writer. Right. I'm going to send this out one more time and then I'm done. Um, and just forgot about it. And, you know, so it was just, it was sort of this one two punch of like, looking at that book again which i'd hated like i yeah. hated it um but i had to go do another round of line edits on it and i was like this yeah. is i like this i see why i wrote it the themes that i enjoy are here um i think i did a good job you know and so i think it was sort of this double whammy i both looked at my writing different <laughs> and started writing differently um and 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 through those two things could see how much I had grown even in stagnation. You know, my brain was still going and still working with ideas and still thinking. Um, and so that time was not wasted. It it produced something new and different. That's interesting. That's interesting. Everybody's had something different happen because of the pandemic. And um, it was a huge yeah. life changing yeah. event for everyone. <laughs> Very true. And it's. I was really kind of surprised we didn't see a lot more like um, a lot more of the writing like we saw in the beginning of like the Spanish flu or uh, any more like a death in the maiden style <laughs> type artwork coming out. Um, yeah. I don't think we yeah. will. I, I don't no. think I don't I don't think um, many artists and writers feel the ability to process the enormity of the grief and loss. Um, I know I don't. And a lot of people I talk to, I mean, where do they be? You know, where do you begin? Um, it's I yeah. Think, I think I think we're outsized by it, and maybe one day yeah. we won't be. I hope I hope that we can um, look back and write more in retrospect because it's an important thing that happened to everyone, and um, it's going to be important for history to mm -hmm. to have these perspectives. But right now, I think everybody's just you know dwarfed by it. Yeah. I think um, I think in the next few years, especially as like the the disability rates start to climb, that uh, it's gonna start coming out more and more, especially in in writing first. Um, yeah. So that's a pleasant note to end on. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. 
<laughs> that that's what they come to come to my show for. Uh, that's right. Uh, hard hitting and um, depressing ha- topic. Have me on. I will bring it down. <laughs> <clears throat> um. Let's see. Like a lot of. Uh, did anyone? Like you said, you started at, what was it, 10 years old, right, mm-hmm. in writing. Um, was there any particular, like, teacher or school memory that is was particularly formative of of your writing career? Um, <laughs> so... Good or bad, good or bad, good or bad. Yeah. Teachers that you loved and <clears throat> maybe, maybe, maybe didn't so much. The thing is, I had teachers that I loved that I kind of look back in retrospect and I'm like, oh, you sort of did me a a bit of a disservice. Mm -hmm. Um, I had mentors who were incredibly hard on me uh, and it and I think they thought they were doing me a favor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had I had teach a teacher who literally at one point, like in the middle of class to everyone read my poem out loud and said if you continue to write like this please stop writing (gasps) and yeah I think that she thought and and to me as a young person I was like I'm gonna prove her wrong and I'm gonna like make it and I ended up like winning a scholarship for writing and you know that's a great story that you know Hallmark but but looking back it's like that was actually not helpful no really absolutely not helpful uh, and then when I went to graduate school, because I I don't entirely understand why they let me in their program, <laughs> because they spent most of the program telling me to stop writing what I was writing, which was speculative poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you read my stuff before you let me in. This is what I write. I right. don't. And yeah, so um, looking back at my education, it was very kind of a traditional like academic focused Mm. poetry education uh and i now owe i and it was wonderful don't get me wrong but what was wonderful about it was mostly the poets i was around right Right, like the late nights late nights at tony's bar uh you know the um the hikes we would go on and and talk about the fact that leslie cannot write a poem that the grad director likes you know like and (laughs) and encouraging me like you know just keep going uh just keep writing what you're writing you know that sort of encouragement that sort of reflection that sort of camaraderie was so incredibly important um but as far as mentors go i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i did have the teacher that had us read uh t.s Eliot uh when i was 10 did tell me I could be a writer someday. So shout out to Mrs. Dobry. Thank you, Mrs. Dobry. Yeah, thank you, thank Mrs. You. Dobry, for being there when I needed you. Um, the rest of you are maybe a little suspect. <laughs> what was their deal with speculative fiction? Like I, I don't, I don't. It was I mean, too I, weird. It was too weird. They don't understand it. It's too weird. Like why can can you write something a little bit more grounded? Can you write from your experiences? And I did some of that too. Um, obviously, like you can in the book, there right, are, right, are right. those sorts of poems. Um, but I 
the metaphors I was working with and the metaphors that I loved to read as a kid and the stories that I loved to read as a kid and the emotional impact on me were fantasy and sci-fi. That's what I wanted to write. And I did not see enough of that in poetry. I mean, there's more of it now, which is fantastic. And it's so exciting. Um, But and if I had read outside of academia, I would have found more of it, too. Um, and, And honestly, in academia, there's a lot of things that are like academic or literary that are. I mean, Shakespeare has fairies in it for heaven's sake oh you can cuss you can cuss okay good for fuck's good. sake yeah thank you yeah <laughs> there are fairies in shakespeare and yet i write you know a poem about a rocket ship and suddenly i'm the weird one right 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 yeah we actually have rocket ships <laughs> i i i don't get it either like i read a uh, i read a wide range of of different styles and i've recently picked up um some uh russian uh, like literally, literally got it in today. The uh, poems of Akhmatova, and that that style's getting that's interesting. Um, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't get the I don't know, snobbery of it. Maybe like, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to like get away from <laughs> in general. I mean, I um, think. I think what they won't admit is that it is a genre, right? Like oh. literary academic poetry is a genre and they would like you to write in that genre, right? It has right. tropes. It has familiar images that probably just heard my pit bull sneeze. Um, it has, it has, you know, a, a tone and a voice that's familiar um, and it's a genre yeah. and that's fine. That's good, actually. Like, that's great. If you enjoy that genre and writing in that genre, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not the only genre that exists in poetry. Um, and it, it can be because of the way academia, academia is set up. Um, it can be resistant to change, which is not good for art, right? It's not, right. That's not healthy for art. Art needs to invite and evoke change. Yeah. <clears throat> So why, why speculative uh, poetry for yourself? Like, what is it that that keeps you coming back to that particular that particular style? I mean, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I think that's it. Like, I just the stuff that I loved as a kid was science fiction and fantasy, and I was a kid who needed escapes. Um, I was a pretty lonely kid. And I found those escapes in fantasy and science fiction. Um, and so that's what I wanted to make. I mean, that's that's what spoke to me, and that's where I found my home. And that's where I wanted to write from. It still is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, like, going, go, going through your book, I was just like, this feels like... like flash cards of my childhood like <laughs> i was raised by tv like every single uh every single bit here, i'm like yeah yeah i remember that i remember going through that i remember seeing that um sailor moon was the, the huge influence on me when you know <laughs> like how could it not how could it not Nah. they have a designer sailor moon line they're 500 dollars each and i want them or shoes yeah. i'm sorry yeah well it's, it's, i'm not getting them but like everything yeah like everything they've come out in the, in it's the re- everywhere now yes and when it was originally coming out like we're, we're looking at like you know the late 90s here guys like m- manga and anime was still like 
weird. Yeah. And <laughs> you could go you could go to your, you know, your bookstore. They had a little special section of maybe like one row of shit and you 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 were doomed to pick from that like one row per week. Oh my god, even before that. <laughs> before that, I remember going to I I grew up in Michigan. I remember going to Ann Arbor because it was the only place that had a store and it was in this shady ass alley. <laughs> yeah. And this guy that looked like he had like 12 murdered corpses in his basement. <laughs> And it was like this tiny room that you had to like like go sideways in, and most of it was in Japanese and fan dubbed, and that's how I did it. That's yep. old school. That is how I did it. <clears throat> we, uh, I also would order uh, from comic shops. They mm-hmm. would give me those giant um, catalogs, and they would like. The ones that they're supposed to order from, right? Right. And so I would go through and I would make out my list and then I would make my special orders through the comic shops that way. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> old, was, old, old school. That's perfect. I love that. Resourceful. We were resourceful as children. If nothing you have else, to be. It, it, taught us, it taught us poetry and resourcefulness. That's right. Something and and comics. that. I actually like I, I work with um, uh, Cartoon Crossroads Columbus uh, CXC here in Columbus. It's a free um, alternative comics and cartooning convention. Uh, and I am on the I forget the title, but like they're getting things done board. Um, and cartooning and comics are so much like poetry. There's so much. You have this small space. You have to get across a lot of meaning you can have meaning um visually that is disrupted by what is written it's it's the same they're cousins really yes yes absolutely um poetry and the and 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 like storytelling through images it it, it goes hand in hand with one of the first things that we do just as human beings that's it's what we 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 are naturally drawn to i oh i fucking love comic books um yes um i don't i don't miss how hard they used to be to get and i don't oh my gosh that uh that that they're so much more expensive but well there's that yeah i i sometimes read them online Sometimes people will be like, oh, this younger generation has it so easy. And I'm like, no, thank goodness. Like, thank goodness they have it. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Enjoy the riches, children. And I don't know. They're going to find. I I wonder. Not not that everything's gotten worse in that sort of like old person stance. The everything in my childhood was great. It was not. It was not. As far as stories were concerned, it definitely was not. But um I don't know. Manga's changed a bit. Manga and anime has changed a, a whole lot. Like, and I, I have a hard time connecting with the new stuff. I saw that you were um, looking for a, like, a, kind of a, a zone out sort of anime to watch not too long ago. And I'm like, I have no recs. I watched yeah. something new well, more as far as anime I, is concerned. I just watched Soul Eater, or not Soul Eater, Demon Slayer. It was good. I mean, it, it felt old school. Yeah. So you might enjoy that. That sort of old school, like just action adventure, good guys versus bad guys. <laughs> there are swords. I could use a little black and white in my right. Life. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. Like I'm like, I just want Something simple, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good guy wins, bad guy loses. Right. We know who the bad guy is. There is an care. evil. There is a good. <laughs> yes. It will it's triumph. Little... Right. Yeah. Getting stronger through practice, etc. <laughs> Love it. Yay! Eat it up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, 
I did have a resurgence of enjoyment in in children's programming uh, throughout the pandemic. That was fun. Um, from like going through with all of the Steven Universe and and the <laughs> graduating up through there. Which, if you haven't seen Steven Universe yet. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Because it draws so much on uh, the childhood, like, magical girl, uh, you know, the special one storyline. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah, I liked it. Good. And they sing. And who doesn't love and a they musical? Sing. <laughs> yeah. Even better. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm still battling through the same sort of, like, crud. Everybody's Everybody sick. Everybody is. Everybody's sick. What what do you think uh, a poem is like? Just from a philosophical standpoint, what what is a poem? Everybody has had a, a different wild answer, so no right, no wrong. What do you think a poem actually is? Hmm. Yeah, that's a hard question. Yeah, it, it, it like, especially it, it, now that like you know, a tweet can be a poem. Yeah. I mean, I would say it is it is a written thing uh, condensed in some sort of limited space mm-hmm. that conveys a specific meaning. That's very broad. I think it should be broad. I agree. I, do. I, agree. I agree. I agree. Although that doesn't include slam poetry. No, it doesn't. Which is also poetry. Yes. It's it's. It's words, weird words that make you feel things. <laughs> it condensed in some sort of form. So there has right, to be, right. for me, poetry, there has to be some sort of form limitation. That's what makes a poem. Okay. Um, so a tweet or so- slam poetry or, I mean, it can be like just vibes, honestly, which are a lot of my writing right like there's i'm not following a form yeah um but i am trying to use the least amount of words to say the most i think that's an important part of poem you're trying to use the least amount of words to say the most in some sort of limited space or format i i agree with that on it's certainly something that is in modern poetry like and i'm talking modern like you know late 1800s down right like yeah yeah <laughs> kind of modern um but like what say like the the long form like epic poetry yeah i mean that gets hard and then you look at yeah. something um like a modern novel like um circe yeah which is just yeah. dripping in poetic language yeah and like and- you can pull any any three lines from that and it's a poem Yep, Easily. autobiography of red. Yeah, that yeah. same. Like the, the whole thing. Like so, maybe the idea of what condensed means. Yeah. Like yeah, I mean to me it is a short format, whatever that that means to you. Right. Um, but then of course you have the epic poetry, and that becomes. A shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I know what I write. Um, I know what poems look like when I write them, yeah. um, but sometimes people will respond to like a tweet that I do and be like, "This is poetry," or you know, um, when I did more comics art, people would talk about it as like, "Oh, you're a poet, so this is a form of illustrated poetry," mm. and it was sort of like, "Well, it's a com, it's a comic book," and then I would get really salty because people would be like, "Well, is it like a graphic novel?" Because it's like 
it's elevated because you're a poet. And I'm like, no, it's a freaking comic book. It's a comic book. Like, don't be mean to a comic book. <laughs> For real, though. I love comic books. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that language gets really... Um, what I want to push against, I guess, in any definition that I come up with a poetry, and the reason I, wa- I go pretty vague... Um, is to push back against any sense of pretension I might have to say, like, well, it's written words um, in lines on a page right, um, right, evoking right. beauty. No, like, it, it, it can be scrawled on a wall under an overpass, um, or it can be a piece of paper that you pick up from the gutter and there's half a line written on it. Like, that is poetry. Um, it is a short series of words that evokes an emotion in you. Right. Right. Yeah. Who who have been your biggest influences on your writing? Like, who who do you read and and you go, God damn it, because every time they... <laughs> this is so hard for me to answer. Uh, because... <laughs> Because I am a poet that writes about pop culture. Yeah. So pop culture is an influence for me. Um, The other day, somebody asked me this about my poem, The Amazing Mystery Women, which I wrote. I wrote about um, the killing joke, which is a famous Batman comic. By the way. Thank you. um, I got to. So Taking like notes, by the way, <laughs> when, when he's like, well, what are your influences? I'm like, I Batman. <laughs> Batman. But um, T.S. Eliot was my first influence. T.S. Eliot. I wanted to write exactly like T.S. Eliot. I wanted to put Latin in it. I wanted to. So I think there's some of that still in there. That yeah. florid language, the longer lines, um, the wandering the wandering imagery where we're walking around somewhere talking about something. I think that's still in there yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have to say Jeff Vandermeer has been a huge influence on my writing, especially in his um, sort of climate focus and environmental focus yeah. and the way that he brings weirdness into it. Uh, he really opened a door to be like because I was always my writing was always called weird and people <laughs> did not like that he is unapologetically weird and that was really empowering to read his stuff and his stuff is very poetic it's 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 very beautiful um, it is very mysterious in a way like it doesn't reveal a lot um, it's it what exactly is going on is not always clear and he gets away with it and it's fantastic um, and obviously my husband um, Jared K. Anderson his writing is a huge you influence don't, you, don't, you don't have you don't have to do that <laughs> I do, you but it is it really is like it I have seen I have seen my writing grow um, <laughs> as because we always I mean, we write together we read together we discuss things together and I see those things showing up in both of our work Um, which is healthy and good but yeah but also he's a weirdo too so like yeah more weird more weird stuff more weird Um, poetry more weird poetry poetry. yes yeah Um, it might be a kind of uh, Rita Dove um, her stuff really sort of changed how I thought about writing and poetry and words because yeah. she just like will gut punch you and I want to do that and I don't I you know I'm not sure yeah. that I ever get as gut punchy as her but dang 
I mean, her stuff will just like leave you flat um, in a way that is sort of aspirational for me. Yeah. Um, W.S. Merwin has a couple that just kind of knock me down. And the ones that I've seen online from Anna, uh, I'm going to screw up the name, Anna Akmatova. Then it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. Um, <clears throat> the ones that I've seen online being shared, those have kind of maybe go well. Okay, I guess I'm putting that on my my reading list is embarrassingly long. Everyone <laughs> says that's a, it's a good problem to have though. It is say that like it's nice to know that there's there, there's continuously something. There's always more to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's a good feeling. So other than Batman, Magical Girls, which yes. completely valid. What else? Yeah, so um, yeah, ba- doubly Batman. Uh, I have I've published one academic essay in my whole academic career, and it was on Batman. Um, pretty proud of that. I am delighted uh, by that. Yeah, absolutely I, delighted. <laughs> I wrote a lot of papers. Uh, I submitted one for publication, and it was um, on a reexamination of the noir detective through Batman as a pushback against like. As sort of a doubling down on the idea of like libertarian individualism can save Whoa. us all. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my God. Look at you turning your like hyper focus into a academia. I love it. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, I also wrote one uh, which did not did not get accepted in publication on different <laughs> versions of translation of Naruto. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked at um, uh, French and English uh, translations of different Naruto books and discussed the differences. Uh, and the French are way better at it. Sorry. Are they? Yeah. I I, I think I'm so. I thought they were really honestly. I don't know why I sound surprised. I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> they take they take a different. They have a different strategy for translating comics, uh, and I think it is superior. So take that, Naruto. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Naruto, I guess, uh, a big influence on my life. Star Wars, obviously, I have two books about, or two poems about Star Wars in the book. Uh, Wonder Woman is in there. Um, yeah, just a lot of myths. Um, I was one of those kids who was obsessed with myths when I was young, uh, and, and myths are big in comics, too. Yes. Like, they're huge. They're all wrapped up together especially like wonder woman for instance like just totally wrapped up in this idea of like america being part of this mythos and the individual being part of this mythos and the mythos being heroic and i'm into that yes have you oh please tell me you've read terry moore's uh promethea oh Oh, good yeah (laughs) yeah everybody yeah i mean he's he's absolutely mad but um he's right Mad people often can be right. <laughs> it happens sometimes. How many different versions? Uh, like, how did you get to to the book that, that that you published? Like, why you included what you included? How you got there? Yeah. So it was a mess. Um, I published a book before this, um, Inheritance of Stone, with um, Alliteration Inc. Press which uh, unfortunately no longer exists. Uh, They were wonderful, and I miss them. Um, But that means that that book is no longer available. Yeah. So I, it had been a goal to put out another book. Um, And I have so many poems. Um, So I, I mean, as I was going through this whole thing during the pandemic of like, 
what am I doing? Am I just done writing? I don't have time to do it. When I can do it, I don't have any spark. Right. It was also just like, I felt like rearranging boat or lifeboats on the Titanic, right? Like, I was putting poems into documents and taking them out of documents and putting them into documents. I hadn't <laughs> submitted anything. Yeah. Um, and eventually, um, I decided that I was going to start with the speculative stuff. I was going to start with the stuff that was to- the most imaginative stuff. Um, and then I was going to fill in everything around it. Uh, and it ended up that made it work that made it come together and uh, that made it and as soon as I did that it was like oh everything makes sense that's that's the heart of what I want to do so everything makes sense to go around that right yeah and then I hired um, the wonderful artist uh, Helvetica Blanc um, to do the cover which is beautiful and fantastic it is so excited it is a beautiful cover of like this uh golden snake y'all you gotta i'm gonna put it all down there in the notes like i say every single time and people are gonna get real tired of me when you say that but um (laughs) i'll put it down there and everybody everybody will be able to see it i'll I'll link everything and everybody um yeah it's gorgeous i love the i love the imagery of the winged golden snake just fuck yeah they hit it it out of the park yeah and so then after that, it was just, we, we did the thing. <laughs> like, like the ending is just so like, did the thing. It's all summed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite in what you've already published? Of, of everything I published? Yeah. Um, ponies and rocket ships ponies is rocket my favorite. Um, not just because it was one of the first poems I got published. Uh, and I got it published in Asimov's, which was a huge oh. deal. Um, that was kind of like, that was so affirming because it's like, oh, I'm I'm just trying to get the wrong audience. There's an audience yeah. for what I write. There are people out there Ooh. who love this stuff. I've just been trying to talk to the wrong people. Um, right. And that poem was in my thesis. Um for graduation for my graduate degree um and people did not like it really but i don't i love it it is one of my favorite things that i have ever written it is um a poem about what the rest of the book is about which is like finding gratitude and awe and love in these things that you loved as a child and coming back to them again and again and appreciating them in new and different ways and appreciating yourself through your appreciation of them. It's really, it's a very, very important poem to me. And it's one of my oldest poems at this point. Um, But I was so excited to put it in this book because I just, I love it. And I hope that it speaks to people. Would you be interested with reading it? It's pretty long. Well, okay. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> okay. About the link. Yeah. Yeah, I can read it. Yay. Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Ponies and rocket ships. Ponies and rocket ships are the blackest of magic because they exist in your mind beyond sin and debt, a heroic nirvana of open ranges and deep space. As little girls and little boys, we believed we could have them, 
and we ran around the house with our fingers like ray guns and our pink cowboy hats long before we understood the complex historical and social ramifications that made our dreams impossible. People shoot Mustangs now because they trample vegetables, and light-speed travel hasn't even been invented yet. Ponies and rocket ships are horrible things because we always... We have always watched movies that tell us heroes ride ponies and rocket ships into suns, and we fell for it every time, and still hope we will ride into suns and sunsets. One day, you realize it's impossible, and also you will not be president. <laughs> My mother wished every Christmas and ran out in the snow in her bare feet while her mother called her an idiot from the kitchen window. She threw open the garage door and found only her parents' VW van and the little puddle of oil the old rusted tools that she would leave for years after her father died. She never found a pony or a rocket ship, and neither will you. What will actually happen is something like this. You will get into college of your choice that you can't afford, and the poet goddess of your department will call you practical, as if it's a contagious disease, and you will feel like you have become a minor character. You will find an uncomfortable peace in this, and you will get drunk very often. You will wake up next to people, you will walk down dark alleys and get in at least one fist fight. You will smash your head against the ground and feel very strange for a day, but refuse to go to a hospital. You'll be fine. You will work much longer than you are being paid for. You will be praised for your determination or not. You will play by the rules and still not find a job to pay the money you owe. And you will wonder why you ever wanted to go to space or chase outlaws in the first place. You will wonder what kind of debt that would have gotten you in. And then you might meet someone and lie on the floor eating popcorn because you can't afford a couch yet and talk about a time when you will afford so many couches. <laughs> you crush out the tiny fleas and talk of a time you won't wage a tiny war across your carpet. Yes, ponies and rocket ships are the darkest of magic because the fantasy will creep back into your life no matter how practical you are or how little wine you drink or how few times in your life you allow yourself to use the word yee-haw. You will start thinking of fighting space aliens again, maybe driving home from work at stoplights or pouring eggs into a saucepan. But you will think of them again. You will plan what you would do if someone galloped into your living room, stuck their hand out and said, there's no time. If you are lucky, if you have lived your life well, you will think of the movies and daydreams, the hopes and disappointments with a surprised affection. A nostalgia like that for your first shitty car or ratty apartment. As if you were the hero. As if these were your war stories. And they are. And they are! Ah! Ah! Uh, I like it so much! Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's... I mean, you're speaking to, to me. Now, I, uh, like... I mean, not me, me, but like, it's, that's, that's my life. That's my life now. That's my writing life. That's my past life. That's. Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. That is, it's, that's why I love that poem is because that was my life. And I know that was a lot of our lives. <laughs> it is. You know, a uh, latchkey kid in the nineties. What are you going to do? You're going to watch TV. You're going right. to, you're going to make up your, you're going to live the lives on television. That's yeah. Climb a tree, read a book. Yes, I think I think you you did a fantastic job, and and all of what you you've got in this book of of retelling all of that. It's 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 not something you hear a lot in in poetry. 
uh, in in any kind of poetry, whether you're looking at modern or not, using the the pop culture as something that's actually you know, relevant. It gets kind of shoved off to the side, like oh, it's just a movie, it's just a TV show, it's just. But uh, it's it's the use of archetypes in our own lives. I think it's gorgeous. Well, I was told to not do it a lot. I was told that it would like date my writing um, and that the goal was to be like timeless. Um, but kind of as I've grown older, I'm like, that's not what I want to. I mean, I get I understand where that's coming from. Sure. Yeah. But I don't think that's what I want to do. I think I want to do something else. And I, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think it, 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 we were told to like to write for, from what we know, but like, I think that it's missing. Like in, in, in trying to make things like the most relatable to this to a wide variety of people, um, I think that's just overlooking a huge set of people who who don't necessarily need know or understand or have been exposed to this type before there's this um kind of stuffy and uh like (laughs) judgment around poetry in general that it's um it's it's academic and it's too hard to understand and uh, all this stuff that people like to to write it off um probably the same people who who write off the dreams and don't want to talk about them oh sure yeah (laughs) absolutely I, i think there's others in there who only think that they don't that they're not going to understand it yes and I I want my writing to be an open door I want to invite people in and I feel like we do stories how how to approach this so (laughs) we all read kind of the same stories and and writing growing up and there's a lot to be said about um the canon and problems with the canon and who is in the canon however one of the things i think people often overlook is that the canon gives us a language yes that we can all discuss like we we all we all know huck finn basically we all know that story we can all make references to it that is an idiom a metaphor a language that we can all speak and i think ignoring that language in Star Wars right or superheroes is missing out on an entire an entire language it's it's missing yeah. out on a whole way of discussing and talking to people that we all I mean freaking everyone has seen the Marvel movies everyone <laughs> yes yes everyone knows these metaphors and tropes and symbols and to ignore that as a way into talking to people is is short-sighted i think i would have to agree i would absolutely have to agree i have made <laughs> i'm i'm gonna get into the to the uh to the fan part <laughs> and start asking me some questions about it because i'm again i've made notes all through this thing like um like, tim siebel's actually sorry sorry real quick tim siebel oh, yeah, is yeah. one actually he writes a lot of blade poems poems about blade and he was another one where i was like oh okay yeah let's do this that's awesome all right yeah he'll be in the notes too mm-hmm. <laughs> um now do, when before i ask the questions i'll, I'll preface with another question because hey it's my show um <laughs> so like when, when you were writing it through were you um specifically um trying for certain symbolisms like um use like red flowers a lot and use the sea a lot was that something that was intentional or is it with each poem that's just the way it came out 
Like, well, so I was sort of hard on my undergrad mentor earlier, so I will throw her a bone <laughs> in that one of the wonderful tools that she did give me was the idea that every writer has a personal mythology. Ooh. And this is something that you can cultivate, right? You can right. decide, I write about red flowers a lot. But more often than not, it's just something that shows up a lot. Um, and her sort of perspective on it was like, just don't fight it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't yeah. feel like yeah. you are repeating yourself. You're not going to get stale. People generally encounter you at one poem at a time. So know that you have this personal mythology and that you are writing from this personal mythology. So I think that, that, that those things are part of that, right? That I, yeah, I am aware right of some of them, but some of them are just things that live in my head and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah sometimes yeah. they're there yeah oh that's awesome um yeah because you uh like do they have a do you know the personal meanings is it something that you, you've looked at yourself like you know what the red flowers symbolize for you or the yeah i mean and i think it's a little bit different um in every poem to me like the the red flowers specifically are kind of a um i do a lot of gardening and work and the, the deep dark reds to me are always kind of and I don't mean this 100% literally but like a little upsetting because I love pinks and blues and whites and I tend to not like the bright reds they're a very like visceral kind of bloody color to me um, and so often when I'm talking about these red flowers I'm talking about like something that is beautiful and natural but also like very stark right there's mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. bright and um loud and um i uh, they often i think go with um more violent imagery in the book yeah um definitely like um i've noticed like a like red as a whole just uh, on a, a just a umbrella is that like a showing like impact of a scene or impact of a of a of a feeling um like the Wow, God, which one was it? There, the one about uh, basically it was Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that's one of the one you were talking about. Yeah, uh, the in particular, in particular that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to flip for it. Let's see, because I'm gonna bring it up. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. It would help if I did way more like prep for shit, but I don't. It's page. You, you can find it quicker than I can. Page thirty-eight. If you come on my show, I'm going to make you do the work and find the shit for me. That's All right. Okay. Like <laughs> I have, um, Ooh, do you want to read it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Read it. Read it. Okay. Sleeping beauty attains bliss. Once I fussed at my hair, my nails, the little silver tassels of my cloak, everything bright and straight. Then I pricked my finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel. No one came for me. The end. I lay on my back as the ants crawled over my skin, their fragile nothingness as perfect as me, as complete. I stared at the canopy of the midnight blue as it faded to gray and wondered. Then, running out of things to wonder, I let the white settle over my mind like a wedding veil. Let me say, that ephemeral beauty was so essential. Now, though, there are other things first in my mind. I am a ruby set in the golden crown of time. The thorns that choked the garden path crawled into the window. The little red flowers bloomed in an instant and died. Nothing lasts. Not white horses, nor carriages, crowns nor swords, 
not kisses on my lips. I smile for no one but my beautiful, eternal self. Now everyone has forgotten me. I'll probably be here until everything becomes light and sound and lifts away. Don't be afraid to be glad for me. We must accept wherever we find peace in this life, even alone, trying to open our eyes. Ah, I love it. I love it. Is that one, um, did you draw for anything like personal on that one? There's so there's such a wonderful theme of like finding yourself throughout that whole thing. Was that something personally that you went through or was it just, just pulling on those archetypes? No, I think, um, I did a lot of thinking, staring at my ceiling at night, at night <laughs> for most of my life and even now. Um, although now I have a toddler, so now I lay down and fall asleep immediately because, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. It's exhausted. <laughs> so exhausted. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted this idea of like, oh, if I could just sit here and stare at the ceiling long enough, I could figure all of it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I could just yeah. figure myself out. I could figure the world out. I could figure all of it out. And in some ways, the poem is like, no, you can't, though. Like, you have to you have to give up on that, yeah. on figuring everything out. You have to kind of just accept the world as it is. And that's kind of that's that's the bliss that she gets is like, this is what my this is the world. Yeah. And I will be like this, and that is f like acceptance, radical acceptance, uh, is definitely at the heart of that poem. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting contrast too between like the sea and space as these um, mm -hmm. similar but uh, yes. different forms of things that like box you in, but also offer this like incredible amount of freedom and how fucking terrifying that is that 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 level of freedom yeah yeah and and in both the sea the ocean and space you are surrounded by the thing that will kill you yes, yes. you cannot live in that <laughs> and that to me is terrifying that is yeah. a terrifying yeah. idea yeah. A hundred percent. There's a wonderful book called The um, The Devil in the Dark Water. Yeah. Um, that that book really, really drives home that sense of like absolute doom of being on a ship on the ocean and like being alone. Like it is yes. a, it is a horror, like a, a oh. in many ways. It's a mystery book, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's very much like a horror book, an isolation horror book. That. Well, one of the, one of my other weird interests that goes along with this is Arctic exploration, and I don't yeah. I don't write about it very much. Um, I haven't figured out how to yet, but that's coming at some point. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but it's the same thing. It's like these people, these human beings, and in all three of those cases, you do not need to be there. In most most of the time, you do not need to be on the ocean. You do not need to be in space. You do not need to be in the Arctic. You have chosen to be there surrounded by something that will kill you <laughs> yeah. and that to me is the stupidest part of humanity <laughs> and also the most endearing right yeah that we're like no i want to go but i won't go but i yeah. want i wanna yeah i want to know what's over there that to <laughs> me is so adorable and hopeful Ooh. and i love to write about it between the like the space and the sea, like these both these vast incomprehensible things, you know, 
like they're penetrable only to a point, and um, and 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 then like they would both crush you if, yeah. if given half the chance. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. You survive space and the sea. Yeah, like you don't conquer them. You survive. You survive them. it. You yeah. go to them and then you come back safe, and that's the best <laughs> you can do. Yes, and there's this 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 sense of like inevitability that runs through it, like and the struggle, the acceptance of that inevitability and and mortality of it um, and defiance against it yeah it's everything about what you've written i just love i love every single bit of it and you mentioned sirens several times yes i'm a little like, obsessed <laughs> fair fair and it, it, this this and coming back like and connecting it to the ocean and this idea like saying like maybe the ocean is this example of deep emotion and and feelings and like this deep water connection so for sirens for you like how do they show up in your own personal mythology well i mean to me they are kind of what i was was talking about there is this draw right to things that are not good for us um, that are not safe, that we know are not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we continue to push the boundaries. Um, and I, uh, I'm always questioning, but, but why? Like, what is the siren? What, yeah. Why why are we continuously drawn to do these things outside of our comfort zone or outside of where we know is safe and and Right. Um, and when I write about them, they are, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, it's not, you know, it's not my fault. Like they're forces (laughs) of nature, right? They're, they're not evil. Uh, they're not manipulative. They're doing what they are doing. You know, they're, they're, they're part of, of their nature of this mythology, mythological nature. Um, and we can't help ourselves. Um, and so that is is a, a question I often explore. And I, I mean, I find, again, I find that need to be sweet and to be endearing and to be one of the positive elements of humanity. Um, so even though the sirens are leading you to disaster, they're not necessarily like evil in, in my writing. Yeah. They just are. Hmm. That's interesting. So, would you say that they, hmm, would it, would they represent then all of those things that that, that we demonize for for their existence? Like they 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 exist as these uh, creatures of temptation, but we're the ones who who gave them that particular um, job, you know, like. They didn't say, here we are, like, come get us. Like, we we made that up. We oh, yeah. Them. We oh, gave yeah. them the, the name of temptation. Right, exactly. Like, they are, they're sitting on their rocks or in one of the poems, flitting about in space, yeah. um, doing their thing. And we have sought them out. I mean, think of, of Odysseus, who's like, no, I want to hear what the sirens are singing. Strap me <laughs> to the ship. And, and... Odysseus kind of being in the Odyssey, the best and worst of humanity, right? Yes. Like that yes. curiosity had to be, he had to do it. You know, he, the same thing that he had to like yell his name back to the Cyclops, you know, he yes. can't, he can't not. 
and, and yeah, so that that is is definitely um, that that curiosity being part of humanity is is uh, is what I'm generally getting at with them. I think. <laughs> Here's another broad question, um, and again, it's one of those that nobody's nobody's come up with the right answer because I don't think there is one. Um, but it's interesting to see what other people say. Uh, what do you think? Uh, inspiration is not what you find inspiring but what inspiration is itself um inspiration (laughs) is anything that gets you started whatever gets you started right yeah so it can be um a line that pops in your head it could be music that you're listening to it can be the crushing fear of mortality looming on the horizon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever makes you sit down and get started that is that is inspiration yeah i've been personally working on this idea that uh inspiration is a a force of something i don't know if it's uh, a conscious force but it's uh, a force nonetheless it's really interesting to see what other people have come up with like, and how they approach inspiration and how they use it for a long time i i didn't write and the the whole idea of writing seemed um like i was dead i'm never gonna write again um uh, i've only got i've got this one job of being a parent and whatnot in front of me and and that's it like ad infinitum done not doing anything else anymore um and then uh i started reading poetry again and god damn it if inspiration wasn't just simply basically waiting there for me to to just be like well you know so glad you're back uh now we can get to writing people you know things that people are nobody gonna read so that's cool too (laughs) not nobody though i've read your stuff so there you go oh god you have oh my lord yeah well thank you (laughs) i've seen it i like it thank you thank you thank you i appreciate it Mm -hmm. so what is inspiration huh yeah what is it see I don't really work with inspiration very much. Um, I think of writing more of a like elbow grease activity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a muscle that you can strengthen, especially after this last like dip. And what got me writing again was writing again. I didn't have an inspiration. It was literally like, and uh, again, my dumb, smart husband was like you know this like sit down and put words on the page you know this and i'm like yeah you're a dumb stupid right person um but but that's kind of always how it's worked like um the work comes first and then the inspiration comes for me if that makes sense uh i will be like all right i want to start in this direction i want to start with right. this image i want to start with this character i want to explore this idea and then the inspiration will come and the words will come and it will be easier um but i i tend to work first and then move toward inspiration and often that what that means for me practically speaking is i delete a lot, I delete <laughs> a lot because i am putting down a lot of bad stuff uh, and I'm comfortable with that. Like, especially yeah. like 
um, I'm, I'm editing a novel right now um, that is gonna lose 20 to 30,000 words um, before it goes to submission and I'm fine with that like yeah I'm I love to write so I the act of writing to me is like eating like I am hungry and I need to eat that is what writing is to me so I do not mind overwriting I I I want to be writing. So I always overwrite. I, I do a lot of work before the actual inspiration, the actual heart of what I'm trying to say is evident. It's more like, um, I guess, the way people do marble statues. Like, if you can kind of see the, the statue inside, but you got a lot of chip, chipping away to do first. You got to get rid of a lot first. Uh, and that is how I work. And then I delete a lot. I delete a lot. <laughs> That's interesting that the way that you 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 put it like that it's something essential like like eating. Oh yeah. Um, I think a lot of I think a lot of writers can relate to that because I, I don't think I've ever met a writer who's like, well, I could take it or leave it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every every poet or a musician has been like, well, um, I just do this thing. I do it. It just it happens. <laughs> Yes, it just it comes up, and um, I don't have any choice. Like right. the words are there. Yeah. Um, I try not to do it, and then it just happens again, <laughs> whether I want it to or not. Um, <laughs> I had one that um, recently. I was in the middle of cooking dinner, and I couldn't even tell you what sparked it. But some, the first line popped into my head. I was like, "Oh shit!" I'm in the middle of dinner, and I had to like rush to find a pen and get it all down in time. But like, I have. This- I have so many emails in my email that are just a line, a line, just one line. Like, is that is that how you take your notes to yourself? You, yes, I send myself your- an email and I use the voice to chat thing. Yeah, it's a I, mess, but it works. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm stuck in Google Docs, and um, I, I also tend to old school and have uh, I write in these, the little black notebooks that are terribly stereotypical. Okay. I love them. But. I wish that I could keep one on me. They're never there when I need them. Like when I have the line, they're not there. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my the the um, the Google Docs uh, tend to save me for that. I have I have a little um, to combat a little bit of worry. Like what if I'm out and about? Because I'm I'm so so often out and about in the world these days. But um, what happens if I come up with a line and uh, like no, you're fine. You've got Google Docs. You can make notes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to carry your entire goddamn library with you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of those kids who had a thousand books. Oh, yeah. Uh, strapped to them all the In time. In the backpack. Yep. Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. How books does the I writing... read. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Constantly. Um, how's the difference from you, for you for like writing uh, between all the different... Uh, styles between poetry and novel and 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 shit you guys you even do a podcast right yeah um i do two uh i write for the crypto naturalist and i also do um cartoon crosstalk columbus which is the cxc podcast yeah uh that one's easier because i'm interviewing so um (laughs) somebody else is in the hot seat that's (laughs) it How do I go? I do have yeah. trouble um, if I'm working in one genre. I do have some trouble because I'm working uh, in novels right now and I've been having trouble writing poetry. Mm. Uh, I really have to put myself in the headspace of the thing I'm writing. Uh, with the podcast, that's a little bit easier because I have 11 billion hours that I can listen to. 
uh, and get back in that headspace. Um, but with poetry and the novels, that's my brain. Uh, I'm responsible for that. So that's a little bit more difficult. Um, but a lot of times just reading what I have already done and getting, but I, but I do, I do have trouble going back and forth um, between the genres. Um, it's difficult. It, and it really sort of takes almost some meditation to to really think about because each of those genres have borders and expectations and odd different audiences honestly yeah, yeah. um and so to, to it, it really is kind of a meditation exercise of like all right we're doing this this is who we're writing to this is the tone this is our goal this is what we're doing but you know of course there's crossover i mean you know, my agent even said one of the things he likes about my books is that they are obviously written by a poet, right? I get real fiddly with the language. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of I, I, I can't help being, you know, hanging out and talking about a f- the red flowers right. uh, for a while. Um, and I, I think that that makes my prose different and unique and bring something interesting to it. Yeah, I'm glad you ignored absolutely uh, all the advice on <laughs> from your academic studies. Yeah. Keep going. I, oh, I'm going to get weirder. Going, uh, Buckle in, the, everybody. With the dreamlike imagery. There's not enough of it. Yeah, I think we're just going to get weirder from here on in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it needs to happen. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I love, I, I, I love, like, the... What, what we've all been you know spoon fed but like the weirder it gets the more the more experimental with with line and imagery and and wordplay that we mm-hmm. get it's i think it can only improve the landscape of poetry i think um, so yeah i don't even, i don't think we've continuously we've reinvented poetry over and over and over again and i don't i don't think it can stop i no. think um this idea like, you know, so people love to say like, "Oh, there's no new ideas." Baloney, <laughs> baloney. There's no new ideas. There's you see new stuff all the time, even if it's not like revolutionary new. You know, nobody draws the same picture twice. Right. It's it's all new. It's all new and it's all interesting. And it's that sort of like two cakes thing too, right? Where yeah. like if if somebody makes something that's like oh this isn't different enough and somebody else is like oh this is like this other thing i like like right. that's a way of reinventing things and making things new too is to build on on what you already love i'm i'm excited do you do you like for for how poetry is going to be changing throughout the years i think we're reaching um i think we're reaching another one of those like little turning points in the way poetry is seen and and put out and understood like it, i think it's coming up to like another uh another resurgence of of interest um and i think the pandemic and a lot of the isolation <laughs> is is part of what what has uh driven it um i honestly think social media has has been overall good for poetry because i don't I think do people agree. knew how to come to poetry yeah um and it sort of it you know if you have a little leather bound book of poems people are going to look at that and be like well that's not for me that's but if it's in your facebook feed that's for you that's right Right. there go ahead and read that and i think a lot of people are and discovering that they are connecting with these things and with these new newer writers and right 
loving it. I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of these social medias that are dedicated to poetry and writing really taking off and people are, you know, people appreciate it. People like it and they want to see more of it. That's wonderful. That's great. I agree. But it, and, it, and it means that it is going to change the form, which some people won't like, but I'm very excited yeah. to see. <laughs> do you do anything, um, I mean, other than the uh, crosstalk, uh, cartoon crosstalk, do you have anything that's like a, do you, need, do you need local readings? Do you go out for your local scene? or? I don't, um, because I work a full-time job and I have a kid. Um, I used to do that, but it, I just, between between childcare and a job and then having time to write that's that's basically all of the time yeah. um, so it's something I hope to do um, you know as as my kid gets a little bit older and gets a little bit more independent um, I, I hope to introduce him too as well to take him along with me uh, but right now no I am <laughs> much more of a homebody yeah I mean same I don't I don't I don't get out there like I don't know what the uh, anything out in my in my city whatsoever this is my sphere yeah <laughs> without without uh without the social media aspect i don't know if i'd uh if i'd have even made any like poetry contacts um some of my best friends are now like because i started posting my poetry on instagram like fuck talk to them every day that didn't happen before that's so. yeah it's social media can be good it can be good <laughs> it has potential I, you know, I get kind of tired of people. Now, don't get me wrong. There's stuff on social media that is just god awful. Sure, but I think on the whole, it's, you know, it's it's the printing press all over again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's people people getting mad that that you know the plebes can now read the Bible. Like, yeah. Whoops. I mean, I'm an internet baby. I yeah. I cut my teeth writing on. Final Fantasy fan forums. Like, Hell yeah. That is where I learned to write characters. Um, I, I I will always have a soft spot for for the interwebs. Um, yeah, I just I just I <laughs> see. Um, not Final Fantasy, but but mine was uh, the old uh, Beauty and the Beast soap opera. <laughs> I'm still part. Amazing. I'm still part. I'm still part of the same same group, and they just did their Winterfest. Like they're just doing their Winterfest online celebration. Um, yeah, I love it. It's so still much. going. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> We're, I will go with incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, like, yeah. So for me, writing on the on the internet is exciting and and beautiful, and I'm excited. Especially to see younger people uh, get involved in it and share work. Yeah. Do you have any, um, like, you had mentioned a couple of poets, and um, like, for, for your inspiration, but do you have anybody that you're reading right now that you really like? Um, let me think. Yeah, so I picked I picked up um, uh, What Kind of Woman by Kate Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a wonderful bookstore in downtown Columbus uh, called The Book Loft, which is is several houses uh, that they connected and made into this huge library bookstore. Oh, that is it's so incredible. Cool. So I, I go there all the time, um, and I picked I picked this up, and I've been loving it. Um, I I was sort of familiar with her work, but uh, yeah. I had not read this book, and I'm really really enjoying it. She is, uh, she is on my list. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a, she's very um, 
I want to say brash, but that's not exactly Ooh. the word. She's very like forward uh, like in her poetry idea. in a way that I it's very it feels brave and I like it a lot. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's very different, I think, from what I write, but I I like it. Let's see. Am I? I just I've been in a big nonfiction kick lately. Um, I just finished Survival of the Richest, um, which I thought was weirdly hopeful. Uh, even though it's about people <laughs> with a, building with doomsday With a title like that that, 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 that makes me think, well, it's, you know. it's, it's by a futurist who is often brought ah. in to consult on people's doomsday bunkers. Um, oh. And he, his sort of viewpoint on it is like, you're not going to survive alone. You need a community um, of people. And the best way to survive an apocalypse is to empower the people around you and to build a resilient um, country or community or, you know, that's, that's the best. So it, it ends up being kind of hopeful um, in a lot of ways. I, I found it really interesting and very hopeful. And um, maybe that's not what he was going for, but that's what I took from it. <laughs> and he can't stop me. <laughs> true. Very yeah. true. Oh, hey, I wanted to talk about that um, that poem you posted recently. Um, the one with the antlers. The girl with oh, the yeah. antlers. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'd read it before, but... <laughs> it, I think I, I, think I posted it earlier. Um, I just kind of was feeling it again. <laughs> so I decided to repost it. Now, um, can you can you talk about that one? Like, where, where you got the idea, like... The whole like the antlers shedding and, mm-hmm. and and not shedding and like can you expand on that one a little? So okay, so when I was little, um, I fell uh, several times on the sidewalk out front of our house um, in Detroit, and I had two little bumps on either side of my head uh, that scabbed over, and my parents told people that they had my horns removed. And uh, I was obsessed with this idea <laughs> uh, that they had had my horns removed and believed it for a while. Oh, I can't uh, tell. I can't tell. If that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> I was very small. Um, like, but the, like, is it, if it was cruel or just one of those jokes that doesn't like? It was a little mean. It was a, it was a little mean. It was a little bit mean. Uh, it was a little bit mean to say it, and it was definitely mean to not like correct me at some point. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I I liked this idea of, you know, as a kid that like grew up in the suburbs and I went to um, a private school where I wore a little uniform and I loved this idea of, and you know, I was a very like do good kid. Like I just wanted to be good. I wanted to do everything right. I wanted to study and get straight A's. That was me. Um, and there were a lot of kids who went very much the opposite way. And in a lot of ways, I really envied them and I looked up to them. Um, the kids that like skipped school and like jumped the fence and ran through the forest. Um, and we really did actually have a big forest fire near um, uh, my house. And a couple of the kids, like they would know the kids skipped because they had like ash on their shoes. Um, because they would go through this this fire. And so I love this idea of these wild children with horns and hooves or feathers or whatever. And and of those things being removed um, and how that didn't change them. You know, they were still wild um, and still sought wildness. Yeah. Uh, 
And as somebody who did not seek wildness, I think the poem kind of deifies them um, a little bit because I, I wanted that so bad. I wanted to believe that my wildness hadn't been chained, that I really was like still this like wild creature and I could be at any time if I wanted to. I love that idea. I love it. I was also a uh, a quote unquote good kid. So <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's a beautiful idea. It's a beautiful concept. It's a beautiful wish. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I think at this point, um, I, I don't know if I'm fully domesticated, but you know. I have, um, I have come to love my softness. Hmm. To understand that I I am a very soft person. I am. Um, And I I have had to, for most of my life, be like pretend to be very hard and very tough. Um, But at at my soul, I am a very soft, squishy person. And that's fine. That's good. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And it's that accepting that about myself was a huge deal. I mean, that really sort of changed everything for me to be like, I am a frilly, soft, squishy person. And that's good and okay. And I have a lot of lot to give to the world from that position. Um, Because a lot of our society wants to judge you on how strong and tough and um, and aggressive you are. And I I play that part you know, in my day job often. Uh, but that is, that is a LARP that I do. <laughs> yes. I will LARP for money. I, yes, a hundred percent. Um, and I am a, I am lucky enough to have found a family, uh, of both friends and, and actual family who completely accept, um, that I am a giant squish ball. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the person who wants to be wild anymore. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy as, as a house cat. Uh, that is what I meant to be all along, and I, I'm I'm quite pleased with that. I, I don't know if I've quite gotten to the the pleas of being a house cat, but um, getting there maybe. <laughs> Let's you can always is. you can always change. One day someone will leave the door open, Ain't and who knows? Fucking true. That that's probably something that I've. Uh, the learning to coming to grips with that ends up a lot in what I write is change. Yeah. Uh, that's... <laughs> I rely heavily on uh, my own personal mythos for those. Yeah. Yeah. To uh, to show me what the fuck to do. Amen. Have you, um, have you read Women Who Run With the Wolves? <laughs> I have not. Oh, you need to. Okay. I recommend it to everybody. I used to carry around like multiple copies and just like hand them out to okay. people like the the mass market paperbacks. Writing um, it down. Yeah, you would it's uh you would re- you'll really resonate with she uses um it's a uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. She uses uh Jungian thought and applies it applies it to popular fairy tales and then uh deconstructs it for yeah. for the reader and it is it is so good it's it the first time i read it it gave me fantastic horrible dreams <laughs> and i was grateful for it um because it let it just like opened a whole box of of all this shit like to to understand and take a new uh new look at the way 
uh, I was understanding things, stories, and and myself. So, and and the, the power structures around me is another huge thing in it. So, yeah, highly, highly recommend it. So, you're working on a novel. Uh, I have finished a novel. You I am finished the novel. Oh, I have several novels. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Then the one that's the closest, or you know what? Fuck it. Any of them. Like, um. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's, let's talk about. I have one right now that is out out on submission with my agent. So he yes. is he is currently it's Eric Smith from PS Literary, um, and he is currently trying to sell it. Um, we have had some interest. Fingers crossed. Um, and that is a book about um, women's anger. Ooh. Uh, it is a book about um, a small town where women, because of the way they were treated, basically create a monster that they can use to take revenge. And one woman does not... Um, you're supposed to sacrifice someone to it if you summon it. Um Usually yeah. the man, usually the man that wronged you, and she doesn't right. do that, and so now it's just sort of loose, and how the town deals with that, um, and who takes the blame, and how they try to resolve it, um, but also can't really talk about it or acknowledge that it's there. Ooh, that, oh man, that reminds me of, um, and I'm gonna screw this up, but that's also the theme of this podcast of paraphrasing <laughs> badly. Um, there's this one uh, 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 Jewish folklore, this one tale of um, like these two women who um, try to uh, create and summon a golem uh, to help their, uh, I think it was their ravaged town. I read it a long time ago now. So apologies if anybody else remembers it and I'm getting it really badly wrong. But um, yeah, they... Uh, like they successfully make the golem, even though it's it's not exactly right, um, because they're not they're, they're not rabbis or something along those lines. Um, that's really fucking cool. That is a really cool idea. I love that book. I'm very proud of it. Um, I wrote it while I was pregnant, uh, and Ooh. there was a lot of anger. <laughs> <laughs> not not at the pregnancy I was very happy about the pregnancy but like the way I was treated the way I became a um, the way my son became the patient uh, and I became the person carrying the patient mm. was mm -hmm. so infuriating um, the way people would touch me the way people would talk to me um, the way I got you know just all of it it was just right. infuriating the way people would dismiss um my concerns i'd be like hey my hip popped out of joint and they'd right. be like yeah that's that's normal well then why the hell didn't you tell me my hip was gonna pop out of joint like yeah what what's normal that's not normal that's not a normal thing so i was very angry and so i yeah. wrote about anger uh and it made me feel better <laughs> <laughs> do you do you struggle with any emotions like writing any particular emotions is there anything that like you try to write about and uh it just hmm. bottlenecks yeah i have a lot of trouble writing about grief Ooh. um and i think that's because it's sort of a complicated emotion for me um god how do i approach this so like <laughs> there are things in my life the things that i'm in my life that i feel the most grief for 
are not things that I lost, but things that I will never have. So for instance, the very lonely childhood. I feel a lot of grief about that, not because I lost anybody, but because it could have been good. It could have right. been good if things had been different. Um, right. Right. Uh, and I feel a lot of grief about that. And I have a lot of trouble. I've tried to write about that grief. Um, and I just, it ha- hasn't come yet. Um, and when I have lost family members, it that grief is touched by these sort of complicated feelings of like, of, of it could have been, of what right. it could have been, right. um, rather than what it was. And that is such a complicated emotion and it is so close to, I still have not processed it enough that I, I can't, I can't write about it yet, but one, one day I hope that I can approach it, uh, in a useful way. Do you, when you're, when you're writing about the anger, does Mm -hmm. that make the grief easier to come around to? Yeah, because I think they're often, I mean, obviously, you know, we know the, the steps, right. Of grief. One of them is anger. Um, so yeah, so writing about, about sorrow and anger definitely make it more approachable and more understandable. I tend to, uh, um, approach writing as more of a cabinet maker, um, than a therapy session. Mm. (laughs) Um, so often I will like look back and I'll be like, oh, I see, I see what I was dealing with there. Um, but I, I don't tend to bring my own emotions to the table and be like, I would like to write about this emotion or I want to write about this experience. Um, it's more like I'm going to make a cabinet and then I sort of look back and be like, oh, I made that cabinet out of anger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that completely. I, yeah. I, anger is one of them that I can, that I can struggle with. Um, grief, grief lives in my back pocket, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I think I struggle the most with uh, writing about the big hurts. Mm. Those those are harder for me. I can, yeah, I'll uh, like the ones where like wrong was like done to you so severely, like like you can't even look at it. You know. Sure. Well, you know, I think that the things that are most poetic are often the things we can't write poetry about. Yeah. Right. Like if we started a simple thing, we can get to those big ideas. But if you write, I mean, a sunset will make your heart sing, but don't write a poem about a sunset. Like you can't do that. or You probably can. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) these things that like these big emotion things, these big symbolic things, uh, a rose and its thorns has been done is obvious is not is not where where you can is not where you need to start from sometimes. The the biggest emotions and the biggest like symbolic things is not where we need to start from, but it can be right. sometimes where we end up. Yeah. Well, how would you then? How do you? What would you take? Uh, like use a bunch of. It's almost a persona, almost persona style, like uh, in in your poems. So, what character uh, would you say, or would you think that you could write uh, the grief and anger through? as your proxy. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. It is an interesting thought. I never thought about it that way. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. (laughs) Ah, I don't know. I probably maybe could do a good Batman grief poem. Ooh. Yeah. You got to get some Batman in there. 
Hey, Batman's where you started, practically. That's go back right. to Batman. Got to go, go back, back to, to my roots. Go back to my Batman. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> We're going to do that. I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Uh, all right. So can you tell us the title of your new book? Can you t- can you yes. Uh, the title is Take This to Space. Oh, not not your poetry book. Thank you. Uh, oh, of the book. Well, of, it, of, it might change. That oh, okay. can often be part of the process is that they will want to change the title. Um, so the title right now, <laughs> the working title is People of the Horse. People of the Horse. Yeah. But Ooh. but I, I I don't I feel like it's probably going to change. It, it um, probably will. It probably it, will. Was the um the title your idea? Or is it something uh Mr. Uh, Mr. Smith came up with? No, that was yeah that was uh that was my idea. Um yeah, and then I'm also working on a um, YA time travel book uh, that he has some edits on. So that will be next as I will be editing that one. Oh, I fucking love time travel. I yeah. think time travel is going to show up a hell of a lot more in these next few years as as uh, like a, a media representation of the zeitgeist. Like with the <laughs> with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, I think time travel, true. it's going to be huge. It's already started. It's already started. We had mm-hmm. um, everything everywhere all at once, um, yeah. which was phenomenal. Um, yeah. and I, I think it's going to become a, a theme going further as we start to process our like national grief right we're all gonna wish that we were you know able to you know fucking go back in time yeah this idea of stasis of lost time i think that that's a really interesting thing to explore yeah we're all we're all gonna we're all gonna turn into uh you know like characters from slaughterhouse five uh it'll be great um but no it'll be fun uh and interesting to see the way that gets digested. I love that. On it. Oh, uh, let's see. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up? Because I know we are encroaching upon almost two hours, which will make it pretty late for you. Yeah, I have to go. Yeah. Just be unconscious. I'm wrapping it up. <laughs> uh, no, I think the the poetry book, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Inkhat. Um, I'm at um, uh, Leslie J. Anderson Writer on Instagram. So I will hopefully have more announcements here soon as we continue. Yeah. Uh, so if you, if anybody wants to uh, check those out, I will be posting news there. Um, in the notes, in the notes, in the notes. In the notes, in the notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And check out uh, <laughs> Cartoon Crosstalk Columbus. I will. I yeah. will. And everybody else will too. Everybody. Uh, oh, hey, do you want to contribute anything to the zine that I'm putting together of this project of this year? It's kind of like a yeah, sure. A yearbook of poetry. Um, it can be um, it can be new. It can be something you've already done. I'm not claiming any copyright or anything. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> yes. Yay. Send me the deets. Awesome. Uh, and I will. And everybody else, if you have anything you want to add or contribute to want me to read any ideas, reach out to me in my email address or uh, on my various and sundry social media, which will, of course, uh, be in the notes. So, <laughs> Leslie, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm sorry I, I, uh, I fanned out a little bit. I couldn't help it. I uh, enjoyed I it, much. honestly. <laughs> I'll be real with you. All right. Yay. Oh, Thanks. If, 
if if I if if I do this for more than a year, still a big if. But uh, would you be interested in coming back on as like an anniversary? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, sure. All right, fantastic. I won't be I won't be any smoother then. Um, so. You were wonderful. We get it. Thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. Thank you. Uh, All right. And um, good night. (laughs) Bye. Bye.